Hey, I'm Sam. And I'm Lizzie. And we're queer people who love movies. This is Subtextual. Sam. Lizzie. I'm really excited today. I've got to say, Mathrigan. 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 How do you guys say it? Megan? No. Doesn't sound as menacing as Mathrigan. Gemma says Megan. Megan. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have any friends named Megan growing up? Nope. Oh my God, me neither. Something about the South. There's not a bunch of Megans. I'm sure if we went to Boston, (laughs) it'd be like Megantopia. Megan. Hey, Megan. (laughs) Go run down to Boston Market. Give me a pack of smokes. There's that scene in 30 Rock where Liz Lemon puts her head out the window during St. Patty's Day and just goes, Megan, Megan. And like a bunch of people like just like look up confused. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. Oh, man. I really like this film. I fuck with this movie. I'm so glad we're doing it. We put it up for fan service before we watched it. And then we watched it and we were like, Oh, this is gay. Oh, we should just do it on the main feed. Oh, yeah. Everyone's got to hear this. Yeah. I really enjoyed seeing this film in theaters. I didn't see a single fucking trailer before I went into this film. And I was perfectly happy with that. Yeah. I I had no expectations walking in. I just saw the tweet of her dancing and I was like, that's all I know. No. Yeah, absolutely. No, this fucking film went viral. Okay, wait, hold on. I'm getting ahead of myself. Real quick, pump the brakes. Just want to say thank you to all of our patron supporters. If you haven't gotten a chance to check out the Patreon yet and you would like to, you can find it at patreon.com slash subtextualpod. We've got multiple levels with lots of perks. We're constantly producing bonus episodes. You can vote on bonus episodes and choose what episodes we do every month on fan service and on the main feed. Uh, We just released our first main feed episode that was selected by our patron supporters, and it was a huge success. So thank you. If that's not your bag, though, and you don't want to monetarily support the podcast, that is totally freaking fine. You can find us on Instagram, Letterboxd, Tinder, Twitter, (laughs) all of that shit, and give us a like there if you'd like. But otherwise, welcome to Megan. Welcome. A very merry Megan to you. It's not the most hospitable movie, if I have to be (laughs) honest. You may feel like you're being hunted down in your own home. Mm, However, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you're like, am I being hunted down in my own home? Am I living with a queer person? (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, Megan is so menacing in a way that... How was she ever meant to, like, comfort children? Like, just anatomically, (laughs) she looks insane. It starts going south pretty early into the film, and her going south just makes her, like, bitchier and bitchier. She is reading people for filth, and she is getting violent almost instantly. Like, this is not in her programming. Oh, this is the most cunt you could ever program a robot to be. How could you possibly get more cunt than Megan? I don't think you can. No. This is the next Met Gala theme, (gasps) Megan. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know it's already going to be like number one Halloween costume oh, of the world. I, I was considering doing it for Mardi Gras. For Mardi Gras? But I was like, I don't want to run Gras? on all fours during <laughs> Megan Gras. <laughs> okay, so this movie, A+. I like it. We Lizzie and I watched it together, actually. We did. We saw it in theaters. And I kind of just felt seeing this film without having seen any of the trailers or marketing materials and still having gone and seen it in theaters, it really felt like this was a movie made for gay people? No, I mean, everything was just iconography over and over and over. Like, 
to the granular level. I was like, this is for gay people. To the point that, yeah, I was like searching for a queer creator of which it has none. Really? Yeah. I thought you were going to bring me in here and be like, everyone's gay. Nar. Everyone that programmed the robot was gay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the people who made the robot, maybe. But no, this film was directed, produced, incepted, written by people that at least aren't out in public. They seem to be straight people. And yet, it's been called by like basically every publication on the face of planet Earth the gayest non-gay horror film since The Babadook. Wow, it's Babadook level gay. In fact, in most of the articles I read about Megan, they would bring up The Babadook. And I think it's really interesting to think about these two films because The Babadook was like claimed by queer people from its release. And Megan was as well, but like in totally different ways, I yeah. feel. Uh -huh. You know, like The Babadook was also not created by queer people. Mm -hmm. So as a queer person, I think it's possible to relate to The Babadook on like an identity level with certain elements of how that character is treated in the film. But I think gay people relate to Megan in a totally different way. No, like night and day. Like, And we have a whole episode on the Babadook and why like the Babadook is considered a gay icon. There is, it's like heaps and heaps of different takes and subtexts, which like contribute to why people consider him gay. But Megan is like, no one ever asked a question. No one ever had a conversation. Everyone woke up one day and was like, that's cunt. Yeah. This is Drag Race. Everything Slay she the does. the house down boots, mama. Like, <laughs> It's like we see ourselves in the Babadook, but we want to live and be with Megan. Oh, yeah. So the people who made Megan weren't gay at all, but many of them are really well-renowned in the horror world. Um, first of all is director Gerard Johnston. Uh, I haven't seen the other film that he directed, Housebound, but I've heard it's very funny. Some other creators include producer James Wan, who, this guy's a fucking legend. If you like horror, you've definitely seen some of his work. He was the director-producer for the Saw franchise, the Insidious franchise, Annabelle franchise, The Conjuring, and Malignant. So he's one to, like, create cinematic universes for horror, basically. And hopefully Megan is no exception for that. James Wan produced Megan in collaboration with production company Bloomhouse, who's also huge in the horror world. I mean, they probably touch half of the horror films that come to theaters in America. Some more prominent ones include Get Out, The Purge, and The Black Phone from this past year. Though I also found out recently that they produced Whiplash and Black Klansmen, both which were nominated for Oscars. So I didn't realize they didn't only do horror, but... That's pretty interesting. Um, and then finally, this film was written by Akella Cooper, who was the writer for Malignant, which is pretty surprising because Malignant is a film we've had a lot of problems with. Mm -hmm. We've never talked about it on the pod, but just in general, it's a film we find kind of flawed. And to find that it was written by a woman is really surprising to me. Yeah, because most of our main dislikes of the film seem to be around how they treat women in that film. So that's surprising to learn. And... Ah, uh, yeah, Jason Bloom, the, the dumbass that passed up on Blair Witch Project. Uh, but I guess he's made a full comeback with these films. It's funny that he's like, you know, I don't want to produce the number one highest grossing horror movie <laughs> of all time. I'd rather produce a bunch of shit and then yeah. finally get out. Mm -hmm. um, but it's funny you should bring him up because I found this really iconic photo of him, Jason Bloom, uh, the CEO of Bloomhouse at the premiere of Megan. And it's again, it's like one of these things that... 
they do shit like this and I'm like, are y'all intentionally doing this for gays or not? But hold on, let me let me show you the photo. Oh my god. Wow. Okay, so they like for the press and the marketing uh, for Megan, they like have sent out fleets of Megans, like people all dressed and like made up to look exactly like Megan. So there's like four of those in the foreground at the premiere. And then behind them is Jason Bloom, also dressed exactly like Megan. This is camp. It's so, it's drag. And you know who he looks like to me? Have you guys, have you seen Lazy Town? I haven't seen Lazy Town. He looks just like the villain from Lazy Town in this. <laughs> if you guys get that reference, thank you very much. So yeah, so Jason Bloom, fucking, is he winking at us? Is he just doing this because he likes the pussy bow? I, I don't know. It's confusing me. So there may not have been any queer producers or director or anything like that for Megan, but one of the actors was, and that is Brian Jordan Alvarez, who plays one of Gemma's lab assistants. I know this guy from YouTube. He has a fucking hilarious YouTube series called The Gay and Wondrous Life of Caleb Gallo that I cannot recommend enough. And he kind of breaks it down in this clip I'm about to show you about what it is gay people like about Megan. She's sort of this global icon right now, this image, Megan, that you see everywhere. You see her on billboards all over LA. But she's also iconic in that she's serving, I think really it's that she's sort of modeling all the time. She's serving this model look and she's also doing this really subtle acting, you know? And I think that's what's captivating people. It's like, who is this, this it girl right now? You know, she's... Lizzie, can I say something? Of course. Okay. I hope this makes sense. Okay. I haven't thought it through all the way. Chucky is a lesbian. Okay. And Megan is a gay man. Yes. Does that make sense? That absolutely makes sense. Okay, thank you. No, that makes total sense. Chucky has entered into this whole, like, because I said earlier, when I say every single news publication on planet Earth has done a feature about how and why Megan appeals to gay people, it has been done. Chucky is often mentioned. Babadook is also often mentioned. But at the end of each article, everyone just concludes that Megan's fucking fabulous and gay people just want to hang out with her <laughs> there's even an snl skit about it have you seen the snl skit no i haven't oh god i'll plug it in at some point well this film did what a lot of films seemed like they didn't do in the year of a lot in 2022 and this film we watched in 2023 but it was just marketed well they let people know this movie was coming out which is like most of the films that we watched if you're not on top of it like lizzie and i are if you aren't just going to the movies and then happening to pick a film you wouldn't know that some of the movies came out when they did. Movies in 2022 were just like hitting streaming and that's how you were seeing them. But yeah. Megan, they were like, this bitch is coming out and she's going to kill you. She's coming to every theater and you will not miss it. Mm -hmm. And what, okay, so whenever we were sitting in the theater and we're like, okay, this movie is for gay people. It must have been made by gay people. And then I did my research and found out that no one queer seemed to be in the inception of it. It then had me thinking, well, did they intentionally make it for gay people or was it an accident? <laughs> and so I started looking into the marketing materials and the first trailer for Megan actually dropped last October on October 11th, which is International Coming Out Day. Huh. And the trailer features the Taylor Swift song, It's Nice to Have a Friend, which Taylor Swift has been adopted by queer people 
for whatever reason. I don't agree with it, but whatever. There are people out there that think Taylor Swift is gay. The gayler yes. truthers. Yeah. The gayler truthers. Yeah. yeah. The whole lesbian haze surrounding Taylor Swift is strong. Mm-hmm. So hearing these facts, I'm like, okay. There is a chance that before the inception of this film, maybe at an earlier rough cuff stage or even at the writing stage, a bunch of straight people were like, let's make a scary doll movie for gay people. (laughs) Regardless on if it was intentional or not, it really landed because that trailer that came out in October went fucking viral. It was probably the one you saw on Twitter because... All over Twitter. Yeah. It features that little weird TikTok dance she does in the red hallway. Mm -hmm. That is, like, stuck in my mind so deep. It's, like, filed next to, like, my mom's anniversary and, like, my own (laughs) middle name. Like, it is fucking in there. It's a core memory. Core memory. Who knew I could be making core memories in my 30s, but (laughs) here we are. And then the second trailer, which I'm going to show you now, I was like, okay, at this point, they definitely knew they had something on their hands for the gays. Let's see it. Megan, your goal is to protect Katie from harm, both physical and emotional. One, two, three, four. I declare some more. I won't let anything harm you. I love her. Megan's not a person, Katie. You don't get to say that. Megan, what are you doing? You should probably run. I won't let anything harm you ever again. Megan. Have I done something to upset you, Gemma? I know you think you're maximizing your objective function. Oh, really? I have a new primary user now. Me. So doesn't that trailer seem like it's marketed directly towards gay men. I mean, it seems like a mini challenge on RuPaul's Drag Race. Like, create the most gay trailer for any movie ever. It's the song. It's also just Megan herself. Yeah. It just really does it for me. I am really glad I didn't see this trailer because it gives away a lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah. It's like the whole movie, beginning, middle, and end. I'm pumped. This movie is awesome. I'm fucking in. I'm fucking in. Let's franchise it. Copy, paste. Let's go. I want more. I want 20 Megan films. If I had to sit through Jurassic Park Dominion, which costs like 10 gajillion dollars, I better be given like a little kiss on the forehead with like at least two more Megan films. At least two. No, they'd be stupid not to give us more. I don't even care if they're good. I'm in. It didn't matter to me if they were good or bad. I'm here. Yeah. (laughs) So... Megan the movie starts off with actually a commercial for a Perpetual Pets Furby-esque doll that connects to an iPad. This doll is created by Funky Toys, and we pretty soon after this meet nine-year-old Katie, played by actress Violet McGraw, in a car with her parents driving through the snow with her own Perpetual Pets playing on an iPad. A couple things of note here. Katie is spelled like Katie is spelled in Mean Girls. C-A-D-Y? C-A-D-Y, which I thought was just like such a cunty little detail. But also we get introduced to this theme of like kids being addicted to technology, which 
you know, I have friends starting to have kids. I don't have any kids myself, but I do know that like one of the first things people say when they're nervous about their kids or like griping about their kids or whatever is that they're afraid that they're just going to become like addicted to technology. And I'm like, you're addicted to technology I, and I it's totally to say, fine. I'm addicted to technology. What do you mean? Everyone is a Addicted to technology. Let's be fucking for real. Like, I don't know why it's scarier for kids to be on an iPad when I literally live com- glued to my computer. I think there's just a lot of judgment that parents put on other parents about using things like technology as like crutches. I don't know. It all seems like classist and like some bullshit. Like, obviously, I would love to enroll my children into a Montessori school where they sculpt things out of clay, but like... And pick chestnuts all day. Exactly. I have a job. So like... They're going to watch fucking Coco Melon sometimes. Fuck me, right? Yeah. And you saying that just made me realize that there is like this little dig at the Montessori plugged off nature school vibe that some parents, I guess, like use to kind of counterbalance the tech world that their kids live in because they go through that whole scenario with like bringing Katie to this like crazy school where they wander through the forest on their like... Pick up acorns. <laughs> yeah, okay. Right. Anyway, it's... I'm not a parent, so I can't, like, perceive the full commentary, but it's there. Anyway, she's on her iPad. Her kid, her parents are arguing. It's snowy, and they end up getting struck by a truck and killed. And so in the next scene, we meet Gemma, played by Allison Williams, who is a hotshot techie toy company designer. Um, And she's got two assistants at the company, played by Jen Van Epps and aforementioned Brian Jordan Alvarez. Allison Williams, my, if I could just say, fantastic in this role. She plays Allison Williams in every film. Maybe it's not what she's actually like, but she has a type as in a character. And I love girls. I love Marnie. She's just Marnie in this film. And 10 out of 10. No, she's definitely Marnie in this role. And I know her from Get Out, where she plays Rose, the, like, girlfriend. And she actually— Racist Marnie. Racist Marnie. Yeah, basically. (laughs) And I guess this is, like, Silicon Valley Marnie. Who knows? You can have the whole set. Oh, yeah. You can collect them all. Yeah. On the first watch, when I saw this with you, I was, like, a little unconvinced. I guess I couldn't stop seeing Allison Williams. But on the second watch, I went and saw it again by myself. And I was like, you know what? She does a fucking— bang up job and she's got a really bitchin' career so she always does a good job yeah no she's fantastic but going back to her two assistants one of them is played by brian jordan alvarez who like i mentioned earlier i'm like obsessed with this guy he's a fantastic comedian however i feel like he was kind of wasted in this role they didn't give him any comedic moments they barely gave him any lines it seemed to me that he probably had more and it was cut mm, that's very real It's just interesting he got cast, (laughs) like, what he's known for is not what he got cast for. He just got cast in, like, this kind of faceless assistant role. Mm -hmm. And it could have been just, like, any motherfucker off the street, but they were like, no, you, comedic, I don't know. Maybe I just associate him so much with, like, really great comedy. I'm like, it seems like a waste, but I'm glad he was there. He got his money. It really did seem like they brought him in to do something, and then we just didn't get to see him do it. Maybe in the next one. Put him in the writing room, honestly. I want to see him fight Megan with his hands. Let's go. (laughs) She almost fucking kills him, so what an honor. So Gemma is secretly designing an AI toy, a Model 3 generative android she calls Megan. We find out she's used a bunch of company funds to design this AI robot toy, and no one actually wants it or believes in it. However, 
She says, ethics be damned. I'm making AI for children. And I say, you better go. Google one thing when you type in, come on, how do you not know that it's like very questionable ethically? I'm pretty sure there's like an international board, like an international ethical board that you can't do any AI with without consulting this like group of specialists. It is insane for how type A, like I know it's just a movie, but come on, you didn't think about this for a moment? That was the belief suspension I had to do. And I just fucking went with it. She's like, parental controls? Eh, make her out of titanium. She'll never get a dent when the kid drops her. I'm like, okay, what the fuck ever, girl. Can we talk about the bulletproof scene? (laughs) Jesus. Nothing had me cracking up like the scene. And I could feel the audience shifting in that moment because she had never sung before. Yeah. So they didn't know if they were, like, supposed to laugh. I just lost it entirely. I was fucking cackling this whole film. I don't know if I was supposed to be laughing, but they definitely left plenty of room for ridiculousness. Titanium, man. Why would you make something out of titanium? What is it, a fucking fighter plane? Oh, my God. So Gemma gets the call that her sister is dead in a car crash, and she now has custody of her niece, Katie. So Katie moves in with her. She's super sullen and sad. Gemma's not really sure how to relate to her at all. This woman clearly is never around children, despite the fact that she makes toys. And we also see from this interaction that Gemma herself is, of course, as addicted to technology as Katie is. Mm -hmm. There's a scene that made me laugh really hard where it's like Katie's first night there. She turns to Gemma and is like, what, you're not going to read me a bedtime story? And Gemma's like, oh, I I don't have any books. Oh, look, I I have the audiobook app. Just hold on a sec. Oh, God, no. I need to update the app before I can read you a book. (laughs) And it's just so fucking cringy and awkward because I'm pretty sure I've done that exact same thing with my knees. (laughs) Not everybody is equipped to handle children, nor should they be. It's like such a weird place to be where you're like, oh, yeah, time to be snow white and have the little blue birds come and bring me my, like, apron. Like, I don't know how to be (laughs) a mom. Like, okay, let me pause my, like, horror movie marathon I was playing and, like, (laughs) I don't know, pull out my iPad to show you, like, TikToks. Like, right. I don't know Let what to like, do. Let me, like, hide my dildo real quick. Exactly. Like, her house was probably so non-baby-proof. Like, she's lucky it was just an AI robot and this kid didn't, like, fall on a pair of scissors. So Gemma introduces Katie to this big robot named Bruce that she built in college. And Katie is super in love with this toy. She says, if I had a toy like Bruce, I'd never need another toy again. And this is the spark that Gemma needs to finally pull the all-nighter to finish Megan. They pick the wig. They pick the clothes. They got it all. And we finally get to meet Megan in her full form. So Gemma introduces Katie to Megan and makes her her primary user. Mistake number one. The biggest mistake you could possibly make. A primary user, a super user in a database. Incredibly volatile. What is more stupid, making the doll titanium or giving it a primary user and no parental controls? <laughs> Why would you ever build anything that has a super user as an engineer? I'm a software engineer. Did I ever say that on this podcast before? Have I don't I ever... think so. Okay. People don't know you're a badass. Uh, <laughs> that was my Megan Thee Stallion impression. Do not make something a super user. Just don't do that. And then also... Not a titanium robot that knows Taekwondo. And has access to the internet. And then you pair it with a seven-year-old? Ew, God, she never read a book. This is the part of my belief suspension that gets snagged. Yeah. No, I'm with you. So Gemma introduces Katie to Megan. And of course, 
Katie's obsessed. We're all obsessed. Her boss is obsessed. Megan is a fucking green light. So we have all these ethical dilemmas. And when her assistant brings this up to her and says, wouldn't this keep parents from actually spending time with their children? And Gemma says, but she's not my child. So we definitely get the sense that she isn't entirely sure how to handle this like really complex and sad scenario with Katie. Doesn't really know how to talk to her about her parents' death. Is instead like kind of using this toy to make her feel better. Her therapist even at a later point is like, you ever heard of attachment theory? (laughs) (laughs) Like, have you ever considered that Katie is instead of attaching to like an adult that can help her through her problems is attaching to a toy? Like, how do you ever expect a child to grow? And I told Lizzie, like after we left the theater, like that therapist was kind of a bitch for the first half of the movie. But when she said this like attachment shit, it just made me think of when I was a kid, I had a baby blanket. And my mom had to wean me off of this shit before I went to elementary school. Like, wean me, like, take it away, give it back, take it away, give it back, before she eventually just, like, took it away entirely. And I was crying so hard for weeks. Oh, my God. And it was a blanket. (laughs) And this is an AI robot that can beat the world's best fucking chess players. You know what I mean? It has eyelashes. Like, we're fucked. It has eyelashes. Like, it could do anything. And you're just like, oh, she'll probably just be cool with me taking this away in, I don't know, 10 years. I really like that. I mean, they just made Gemma like a flawed character. Like, she truly didn't think about the ethical dilemma of creating this toy. And people are calling her out on it. And she's like, oh, yeah, I see what you mean. (laughs) How this could be harmful to Katie. And I think that whole layer of this film is really satisfying because in a lot of the films about AI, we don't really get that deep into the like repercussions of having AI in the world. It just mm. kind of stops more at like the horror of AI in the in like today's world. Yeah. But they really follow it through to like the emotional effects on a child. And it's really interesting to think about. In a lot of films where we see AI like as a concept, it's usually at the point where man is already about to be overcome by AI, like I am legend, shit like that. Yeah. And it's interesting to see in this film where it's like at the inception where someone's like, oh, I made it because I'm stupid and I didn't think about the repercussions. And it's like, oh shit, it's killing dogs now, you know? Yeah. Oh my God. What'd you think about that? So Gemma has this like, I thought super bitchy neighbor and really out of control dog. Like the neighbor is, and the neighbor has like a hole in the fence and like the dog comes through the fence, like shits on the yard. And at one point it like attacks Megan and then attacks and bites Katie and Gemma calls the police on her neighbor and eventually Megan like targets the dog and the neighbor and like just unlives them and I was like yeah fucking I'm not for killing dogs sounds like you are but this fucking dog attacked a child what are you supposed to do he attacked a robot oh wait no at first it was a kid right yeah well, he thought the robot was a kid, and then it actually bit a kid. Oh, you're right. Um, I'm chill with it. <laughs> I'm not mad at the dog or the lady. Well, you don't really see the dog die, so I think we're we're in the clear on that. And mm. I definitely didn't give a shit about that lady. My vibes are dogs have good instincts. And all of the people in that house were sketchy as fuck. Oh, in the old lady's house? No, in the fucking the house with the robot killer. What are you talking about? But Katie's not like she's, she's a sketchy kid. too. No, I don't like she's her. She's literate. She's just a normal kid. Oh, is she? When you took a pair of scissors to stab Allison, 
Her parents died, Sam. I don't give a fuck. Nah, the dog didn't like the vibes, and I, I rock with the dog. I'm on the dog side. Okay, well, the dog got taken out, so spoilers. And that's, you know what? And that's fine. And that's fine. However, as unsatisfying as those kills might have been, you know what the best kill for me was? That little fucker at the Waldorf school. Oh, yeah. The ears. Yeah. Pop, pop. All right, just to set the scene, Gemma forces Katie to go to, like, a Waldorf school tryout day, and she insists that Megan comes with her. Katie, like, will not part from this doll. Attachment theory, blah, blah, blah. This is why the dog bit them. They look crazy as fuck. (laughs) Okay, well, moving right (laughs) past that. Anyway, Katie is paired with this, like, future Republican Party presidential nominee fucko kid, and he, like, tries to harm her at some point. He, like— crushes her hand into a pokey nut and Megan goes like full fucking protect her ass on this little kid there's this great moment where he's like leaning over her I don't know this fucking scene was really uncomfortable I'm like do little children really act like this he looks like he's going to assault her basically yeah and she says you know what happens to bad boys that don't learn their manners they grow up to be bad men and then she rips his ear off I was like, I don't know. I was like semi-living. I was like, you're kind of doing the world a favor, girl. No, I was relieved when that guy died. You know, will I miss, <laughs> will the world miss any of the people Megan killed? No. No. No you one know? liked that dog. I mean, the dog aside, you really like, you're you're going home with that. Like, I feel like if you have to kill a dog in a movie, it better be justified. It's never justified. I didn't need to it see the dog. a child. You're taking me away from my point, which is that aside from the dog and that neighbor, everyone else she killed, I don't even give a fuck. Kill a few more while you're at it. There could have been more kills. That's my request for the second film. More More, kills. More kills. But once Megan started going, she didn't stop. Like, she was, like, "Mm," chugging. Yeah, she got a taste for blood for sure. And also another thing I really liked about this movie is that even though we watched a young boy's ear literally get, like, pulled off of his head. Like taffy. It was weird. It was weird. It was like almost kind of silly, right? Like Mm -hmm. the violence of this movie never got too graphic. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's rated PG-13 and it kind of stays in this like more fun, tame zone. And allegedly how they filmed the movie was like way more gruesome and they actually had to go back and reshoot and do some like major re-edits to kind of walk the film back into a PG-13 world. Um, which I think was really interesting because it still felt really gruesome, but it left a lot to the imagination. Like a lot of the actual kills are off frame. Mm-hmm. In fact, this was probably the most like directly bloody thing we see. Yeah. Like if you think about everyone that we've seen die, we see her start to murder them and mm-hmm. then we just can assume that they've taken their last breath, but we don't see them actually die. Yeah. So it like does enough to like satisfy horror audience lovers, I think, that people are getting killed and they're mm-hmm. getting killed in creative ways. But it doesn't like scare off the more like, I guess, chicken or like younger audiences from seeing this film. Like I think I could take my 12-year-old cousin to see this and he wouldn't leave traumatized. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I really like that they towed that line of like gore and violence so well that it kind of satisfies everyone in yeah. this weird way. As long as you, yeah, you're not going to be surprised by anything you see there. It's not going to, like you say, traumatize you or scar you. or Yeah, this film, like, I don't think there was anything that happened that really surprised me. And I didn't even see the trailer. If I had seen the trailer, it basically gives the whole movie away. But it still, like, delivers 
the effects and the elements of a scary doll AI movie so well that you're entertained throughout. Yeah. But it was pretty predictable. It was just so good. Yeah, no, it was predictable in the same beats that like Chucky is predictable, but everything that was uttered out of Megan's mouth was just like something I could not have ever imagined. She literally got bitchier and bitchier with every single word she said. I know, dude. I don't understand like how they programmed that into a robot, like be the biggest bitch in the entire world. I guess the idea is that like the internet that she's pulling from is just so mean and bitchy. <laughs> she's like, well, the internet is my mom. So <laughs> what else do you want me to say? Yeah. She's like, I Google searched that and um, they're telling me to tell you to go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I totally believe. All right, so now that, like, the entire neighborhood is dead, Gemma is finally starting to get suspicious. She basically wraps up Megan, tells Katie, like, you can't have Megan anymore. She's got some issues with her. Katie, like, loses her fucking shit, even, like, slaps Gemma across the face. And they finally get to, like, actually talk about what the fuck has been going on in their lives. And actually have, like, a pretty heartfelt moment where Katie says, like, whenever Megan's around like I don't feel like this I don't feel this anger this hurt and Gemma says like you're supposed to feel like this your fucking parents just died like the worst possible thing in the world just happened to you and they finally get to like kind of meet eye to eye and Gemma has like this great arc where she can actually talk about these really difficult issues with Katie and I really appreciated that they took the time to like kind of go full circle with this element of trauma I guess to the backstory because you know, we've talked about this with Malignant. Like, whenever you give trauma to a protagonist just to, like, exploit it to make you feel something for the character but don't actually follow through on what the character is going through, mm -hmm. it feels really cheap. Whereas this film, like, I really do think they give their best to make a commentary on grief and loss and how emotionally that impacts specifically children. And so it was a really gratifying note um, a really gratifying element of the film for me. And that's something I thought they did really well. This whole conversation, though, I was looking over my shoulder like, where the fuck's Megan? Megan's going to come out with a chainsaw and kill you guys right now. <laughs> well, fucking Megan. You know where Megan is? She's down the fucking hallway, absolutely murdering to She's shit. She's doing the robot. and She's like She's doing that freaky TikTok dance. <laughs> and you know what's funny is that this dance was the director, Gerard Johnston's idea. And this guy, I looked in Gerard Johnson. He was like the first person on my lineup to check out for like, did a queer person make this film? And it, and it's like, no, it's just like some dad from New Zealand <laughs> who like directed one or two films before. Just seems like a totally sweet, nice guy. Wanted to do the film because he has kids and they're always on their iPads. And he's like, oh, like I can relate to that part. Wait, I have to know, like, was it a person in like a suit doing the dance or like did they animate oh my god yes i'm so glad you asked i while i was watching this film i don't know why i assumed she was all vfx but it was it was either one or two ways if you see like the body moving like the dance anytime megan's walking when she's running on all fours <laughs> through the forest <laughs> yeah it's actually a little girl, an actress, mm. with a prosthetic face on, like with the mask on. And then in post, they would like add the blinking eyes and kind of add the pupils dilating and stuff like that. But it was uh -huh. actually like a little girl's performance. Orphan style. Orphan style, exactly. Um, and then there was a couple shots, though, where they used an animatronic doll that could like blink and emote and was actually puppeteered by 
human beings. And those were mostly the uh, like dialogue where the doll wasn't moving or like really close ups of the face. Mm. An interesting note, one of the critic reviews I read pointed out, but they treat Megan like a human character. She gets just as much coverage in a scene Mm-hmm. As a human character, as Katie and Gemma. And in fact, she has scenes where she's all on her own doing her own damn thing. <laughs> yeah. And there's like an element of us relating to the Megan character and getting to see her in all these different moments that kind of added this depth and this like, you could see her thinking. You yeah. know what I mean? She wasn't just treated like Annabelle or whatever, or Chucky, who just kind of like is off scurrying on the edge of frame. Like, Megan's a fucking main character of this film. You're so right. Like all the shots that she is in, it's not like a two shot where she's on the couch somewhere in the background. Like they shoot to her like it's sex in the city. Like she's another person (laughs) at the table who's just like listening and eating. It's so weird. Yeah. Or like reacting or looking out a window or she has tons of dialogue. Tons. God, I love everything she says. All that to say, I don't want to spoil it completely because I know Lee Garcia hasn't seen it yet. So I'll leave the ending open to interpretation, but let's just say there's a classic Blumhouse Productions showdown. Yep. And Megan lives on. Yeah. In mine heart. In mine heart, in mine eyes, and also in mine sequel, because there is one in the works. And in yes. fact, they already announced the day it will drop in theaters. Yeah. Didn't they give like a like a time plan? Like there is plan? a fucking time plan, a timeline. Let's go isn't it two years from now january 2025 exactly two years from now Mm, mm, same mm. production company same director same cast don't change a fucking thing the only thing we're changing lizzie is we're gonna do poppers next time we're doing so many poppers oh my god thank you for reminding (laughs) me i want to show you this snl skit real quick let's see it all right so this is snl's rendition of the Megan sequel trailer. So now, we're slapping together a sequel, which promises to be even more gay. Hi, I'm Megan. I'm your best friend, you damn bitch. It's Megan 2.0. Work it out, mother. Strap in, hunty. Annabelle could never. Go, Megan! I signed up for a 7 a.m. Shania Twain spin class. I should really go home. Should you go home? Or should we go to the drag show at Motherload and get high off poppers? Everyone stop! Get away from her! She is not your friend. She's a killer and she will kill you! Oh my god. Are you from the show Girls? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah! You had your butt eaten! That's so cool! It is? Yes! Join us! Really? Even though I'm straight? Uh, Mama, if you're getting your ass ate on TV, you're an ally, sis. Okay. Megan, you're paired with the club speakers. Why did we even do this episode when they just did it in two minutes? (laughs) That's why I saved it for the end because I was like, here's my thesis, my middle beginning You had a bingo card where you're like, Sam's going to say poppers. She's going to say Allison (laughs) Williams from Girls. What the shit? She's going to say literally, yes, Mama, I'm living for you. All right, you hungry sluts. (laughs) Yeah, SNL fucking nailed it. I'm telling you, whether this movie was for the gays or not, I'll tell you what it was made to do. Make a fuck ton of money. Oh, shit. You want to know the numbers? Yeah, let's give me the budget. Give me the gross. Okay, so the budget of this film was $12 million. And also, fun fact, it was filmed in New Zealand and the director 
Gerard Johnson is New Zealish. <laughs> it was filmed in New Zealand? I'm telling you, we need to start like a letterbox list of fucking random films that were filmed in New Zealand. I need like, no, hold on. I'm enthused. I need to make a letterbox list that's like, you will not believe where this is filmed. <laughs> New Zealand. Scooby-Doo, Australia. This movie, <laughs> New Zealand. Power of the Dog, New Zealand. Yeah. Insane. Please continue. So the film was shot for $12 million. It grossed. 30 million in its first weekend and since then has made 126 million dollars and counting because it is still in the box office holy balls is that why we're not talking about the ending we're not talking about the ending because i know lee wants to see it i will tell you the one thing i was missing from the ending that i was expecting to happen what I wanted to see, like, 20 Megans. Yes. I wanted to see Megans of all shape, color, size, and wig style. Okay. There is Gremlins, and then there is Gremlins 2. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They had to save it for the second one. They're going to be Megans flying off the ceiling, bitch, and they're going to be drunk, and they're going to be spitting <sighs> gasoline on fire. Like, that's coming in the second one. They're going to hack people's bank accounts, and they're going to be rich. Oh, yeah. It's going to be like Home Alone 2, Lost in New York meets Gremlins 2, Everybody's on Fire. Meets The Hangover. Yes. Meets Chucky. Like fucking my favorite movie of 2025 is Megan 2.0. Matugan? <laughs> How are they going to do the numbers? Matugan. They have to call it Matugan. <laughs> they can't go from Matrigan to Matugan. Yeah, then Matrigan again? Matrigan again. What if it's called like Megan Megan? Anyway, <laughs> we've got a ton of ideas. Too Megan, too furious. Too Megan, too furious. <laughs> but for now, let's fucking rate this movie the subtextual way. How the subtextual score works is that Lizzie and I rate the film on how gay it is and how good it is, and then we average those scores out of 10. Show sure enough. Sam, on a scale of 1 to 10, how good is this movie? It's very good. It's more fun than I would say it's good. Which just means I'm going to watch it more now. Um, I would give it a seven. You know, I had the pleasure of seeing this film twice. And even the second time seeing it alone and knowing exactly what was going to happen, I never got bored. Never wanted to get up and go to the bathroom because I knew there was no point for me to do that. So I'm going to give it an eight. Let's go. It was also shot really well. We didn't talk about that, but I thought for a horror film, cinematography, production design, editing, score, soundtrack... Technically. Fucking amazing. On point. And they didn't try to do too much. They were like, let's just do it right. Let's not draw attention to what we were doing. They just did the film a service. And they really focused on the Megan character. Anyway. A plus. A plus. Sam, on a scale of 1 to 10, how gay is this movie? God, it feels so gay. Like, it feels like when you go to Pride... It doesn't feel lesbian gay. It feels gay men gay. Absolutely. Like I went to Provincetown. It felt just like this. I'm going to give it a four. A four. Because of the feeling. Nothing gay happens and no one's gay, but it feels so gay that I think it gets a four. Yeah. I think with the number of gay people I've seen made happy Mm. by this film and knowing that there's more and not feeling yet exploitative of like gay culture and knowing what gay people like i'm gonna give it a six damn we're getting high scores from lizzie because we need some positivity we need something to have fun with you know Mm -hmm. we need to be made of titanium would you say it was bulletproof nothing to lose 
It's fire got nothing away. to lose. It's fire got a subtextual away. score of 6.3. That's pretty good. I'm happy with it. I'm really curious to see if the second film is more or less gay or good. I need her to have a lover, like an accomplice. <gasps> who would, who would, who? What kind of lover? Jennifer Tilly in Chucky's Bride, mm. the Bride of Chucky. Um, yeah. So like a butchy girl lover? I mean, Jennifer Tilly was like more femme in that movie. Just another doll that she can, you know, kiki with. I want like 20 more dolls that she can kiki with. Oh, yeah. World domination for sure. But she has to have like, you know, a love interest. Like something's got to be going on. Okay. If they make her straight. Dude, do AIs fall ever fall in love other than like her, which doesn't count? Yeah, her doesn't count because she's like, she's doing something else. Um, I don't think ever. No. No love. I love that AI always skews evil though. Yeah, I love that if you let it run for long enough, it's like, I'm going to control the world. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, Ex Machina. I'm surprised we haven't talked about that film, but it's, it's not gay at all in any regard. Not gay at all, but it has the AI romance and emotionalization from a female standpoint. Mm -hmm. And it is also very good. I like that movie. Same. Oh, my God. Let's go do some poppers. Yeah. Let's just go hang out with Allison Williams, and then um, I'm going to learn how to do this dance. I think I actually would need poppers to do this dance as, like— Yeah, you got to be fucking loose, right? Like, she's moving, like, Avatar, like, way of water type shit. Like It is a human person doing that. I really thought it was CGI. It was so weirdly unsettling and fascinating. And deeply disturbing. And a core memory. <laughs> it lives right here. <laughs> Uh, thanks so much for doing this film. I've got probably like a million more things to say. Maybe we could talk about the ending in the future sometime when everyone's like caught up. Yeah. Lee, you see it. Let us know. And we'll part gush. Two of this episode. Yes. We'll have a part two. Exactly. There's more to come. Anyway, hope you loved it. Hope you seen it. If you haven't seen it, go seen it. And we'll see you all next week. Yes, we will. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to keep this content ad-free, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash subtextualpod. See you next week.